people think this is rigged somehow against them. And I'm, I'm certainly not smart enough to know if it it's rigged against us or not, but I mean, I'm just trying to get to the heart of the matter. I mean, look, personally, um, I'm in this business. I make a living in this business. So you, maybe you say I'm conflicted, but I believe in actually, you know, investing and finding value and finding good investment opportunities. And I believe you can do that. So do I think it's rigged? No, I, I don't think it's rigged. Can I understand how the little guy may think it's rigged? Yeah, I think the little guy thinks a lot of the world is rigged because right. frankly, it is kind of rigged against them, right? And, right. And, and, and that's, you know, you know, in anything in life, you need to have scale to be quote unquote successful. And, right. you know, whether you're got a bunch of software engineers or, or whether you have a hotel, you can't make money in a hotel with three bedrooms, right? You need scale. It's the same thing with, with everything else. You need scale. My name is John. And this is Please Allow Me. I put this episode together quickly because the topic is kind of time sensitive. Who the hell knows when the meme stock bubble is going to burst and my dreams of being hand-fed grapes in the warm Mediterranean sun will be shattered. My buddy Paul owns a hedge fund and he knows a shit ton about the stock market. So I wanted him to primarily educate me on some of what's going on between the institutional investors on Wall Street and the retail investors, many of whom are on Reddit and other social media platforms. The internet is full of some really good information, but it's also full of some bullshit, regardless of whatever industry you're in. I don't know enough about this topic to be able to tell the bullshit from the good intel, so I thought I'd have Paul come on in and clear some of this stuff up for me. To be clear, I own some of these so-called meme stocks, and Paul runs a hedge fund, so as we're approaching this from opposing viewpoints, I tried to be fair to my friend, but I also wanted to get to the heart of the matter. I missed an opportunity to ask a few additional questions here, mostly because it was Tuesday night. Paul's wife was texting him off the hook to get his ass home. My big miss was failing to ask Paul what he thought about government officials who make policy playing the stock market. While I think it's wrong to infringe upon anyone's personal financial freedom, sometimes you have to make trade-offs in life. Should a person in charge of making policy also be able to benefit financially when that policy creates a booming industry? That seems like the ultimate in market manipulation to me. Should Nancy Pelosi be able to own millions in Tesla stock while pushing her green agenda? That doesn't seem right to me, but what the fuck do I know? And she's certainly not the only politician on either side of the aisle taking part in this type of market manipulation. But whatever, that's maybe another podcast. Anyway, without further ado, please allow me to introduce Paul Carger. On a rare Tuesday night appearance here in Podcast Alley, I got my friend Paul Carger here to talk about uh, Reddit versus Wall Street. Paul, before we get started, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and establish a little credibility for people who think I'm absolutely full of shit? Absolutely. Um, so I, uh, I run a firm in Boston, uh, between Boston and London, called Twin Focus Capital. Uh, we manage about $7.5 billion for a selection of very wealthy families around the world. Um, I also hold a, uh, a CFA, a chartered financial analyst, uh, and I've been in the uh, investment business for over two decades. So for people who are just wondering what the dynamic is here, uh, Paul and I are friends. I hold uh, some shares of GME and AMC. I don't want people to think that I invited Paul in here as a layup to defend Wall Street. <clears throat> and I'm not one of the wealthy families that Paul represents in the stock market uh, because all my money is under my mattress. So let's get started. One of the things I want to do is I want to clear up some of the uh, key terms here. 
One of the things I notice is that the internet makes experts overnight. I see this as my business is in MMA. Every time there's a big fight, uh, Monday morning, the shit that's online and the the insider terms I hear people dropping and using incorrectly so that they sound like insiders is, uh, it's frankly, it's dumbfounding. The number of people I've heard talk about, I'm not in this to screw Wall Street. I like the stock or this or that. Motherfucker, you don't even have a stock portfolio. We both know that. So let's start by defining some key terms if you'll help us do that. Is that cool? Sure. Okay. What is a hedge fund and how does it differ from a traditional brokerage house? Sure. Um, Hedge funds were really started in a very limited way back in the 60s, um, but really kind of came to prominence in and around the 90s. A hedge fund is a very loosely defined term uh, that really means a uh, commingled pool of capital, which has very little restriction in terms of what it can do. Um, hedge funds in today's regulated world are offered by a, uh, you know, w- w- with a private placement memorandum where managers basically have to define exactly in and around the space that they're going to be investing in. Uh, and it also um, will uh, provide a bunch of disclaimers around things that they can get away with as long as they tell you that they might do them up front. Okay. Um, but in, in addition, I should mention, you know, hedge funds are able to garner generally if they have good performance, garner much greater fees than traditional investment management. For example, if you were to invest in a mutual fund or an, an, an exchange-traded fund, you're probably paying less than 1%. Okay. Uh, however, uh, in the hedge fund world, they charge very uh, high management fees. There's a, uh, the expression of they charge 2 and 20. They charge a 2% management fee, and they charge 20% of the profits. So, to, you know, you, you can make a lot of money running a hedge fund if you're successful. Is it somehow riskier? Is that why the profits are greater? Absolutely. It's riskier because you're investing. You've got two forms of risk, really. You've got investment risk where um, you're investing in a, you know, perhaps an ill-defined strategy or a strategy which gives the manager a lot of flexibility. But you've also got operational risk um, whereby, you know, effectively, you're not just investing in an investment product, you're investing in a small business. And things go wrong with small businesses all the time. Partners have disagreements, whatever it may be. Tell me about it. So what what exactly is a short? Everyone's going, oh, short this and short that. I don't think anyone has any idea what they're talking about. Shorting is a term to refer, <clears throat> refer that refers to um, the ability of an investor uh, to, in, in some ways, it's considered hedging, hedging a position. Effectively, what you're able to do with a short is without owning the share of a company, you can borrow that from somebody. Call it a bank. Like similar to a bank, they're going to charge you a certain percentage to loan you that share. You know, if it's a very widely followed stock and a very liquid stock like a General Electric or something, um, you know, maybe it's a few percent to borrow the stock. Is it a percent of the current stock price? That's what they're charging you? It's a percentage of of the balance. You're effectively making a loan. So if you're going to borrow, call it 100,000 shares, going to borrow it for 5%, you're going to pay $5,000 a year. Some stocks, uh, they charge, the, the broker dealer will charge a lot more to borrow the stock. So you have to think about, if I'm going to short this stock, what's it going to cost me? Do I think I'm going to make more than it costs me? It could be as much as 20%. So you borrow the share of stock, you turn around and you sell the share of stock. And the whole hope is that you can buy the stock at a lower price. You believe the stock's going to go down. So you borrowed 100 you pay 5% a year, you hope to buy it back in 80. You know, if you 
in, in this example, if you hold it for a year, you make a $15 profit. Right? Uh. The challenge though with shorting is it's very different than going long because going long, you know, just buying a stock outright, you effectively have um, the ability to lose 100%. So if you invest 100, you can lose 100. The, pro- the problem with shorting is if a short goes against you and the stock moves in the other way, you can lose multiples of hundreds of percent. Gotcha. Right? So I used to um, borrow car stereos and bring them to the pawn shop and sell them and hope that in three months they'd still be there and I could go back and repurchase that car stereo for less money than I sold it to the pawn shop for. They called that fencing stolen goods. How is this different than what I was doing uh, to get beer money in the 90s? So that's effectively shorting, right? You, you were effectively short the radio. I'm, um, I'm very prolific. Very, very prolific. You always have been. But, you know, it, you're effectively short the radio. And your challenge there is if all of a sudden, for some reason, that radio becomes worth a lot of money. Like it was a vintage radio and I had no idea. Or somebody bought it and just decided, you know what? I don't care. I installed it in my car. I don't, I, I'm not going to give it back to you. And then you say, well, I'll give you 30. No, I'll give you 40. No, I'll give you 50. You know, all of a sudden it costs you a lot more to buy it back. So is there any similarity to like selling these things and having people hold them to when like the Franklin Mint says they're going to issue a commemorative silver dollar coin and then they sell you a dollar for, they sell you basically a silver dollar for more than the price of that silver dollar, knowing that you're not going to spend it. It's going to sit in your closet and you're going to hold it. I mean, that's, that's kind of every game, right? That's retail, right? I mean, you know, right. with a markup. So what's the difference between uh, the price of a stock and the market value of a company? Because as I understand in like this whole um, meme stock thing that's going on right now, the pr- total price of the stocks out on GameStop are, is greater than the value of the company. Is that correct? Correct. Um, so, so you have to define market value versus intrinsic value. So the market value of the company is basically all of the, the number of stock that are available, the, the shares of a stock available times the market price, and you come up with a market value. What you're trying to determine as an investor, whatever you're investing in, whether it's real estate, radios, or stocks, is you're trying to either buy something less than it's worth and sell it for what it's worth, or you're trying to sell something for more than it's worth and buy it back for either what it's worth or less mm. than what it's worth. So, you know, it, it's, you, so, so what an, what an investment manager does when you're going quote unquote long, or you're looking to invest in a stock, uh, you believe that, you know, you're going to buy it at a hundred, but you believe the intrinsic value of that company is actually worth 150. You think the market has got it wrong. And you think that you know more than the market for whatever reason, because you've built a better model or you've counted their inventory or whatever, and they've got it wrong and you believe you're going to make money on it. So then what is a short squeeze? So a short squeeze happens when you have a manager or multiple investors look to short a stock and they go short the stock. And what happens is if all of a sudden there's a rush to buy that stock back, very much like you going back to that guy with the radio and saying, I need that radio back. I need that radio back. You're effectively creating a short squeeze on yourself because you're driving the price up. Mm -hmm. But that's what happens in the market is there's a short squeeze when all of a sudden everybody realizes that they need to cover, quote unquote, cover their short and buy their stock back. It's it's, the stock market is all supply and demand. What? So uh, I was going to say, what causes people to go and want to buy those stocks back and short squeeze? 
could be anything, could be some kind of fundamental reason, should, could be the fact that you just believe the intrinsic value has matched the market value, right? And for whatever reason, there's a rush to get out, maybe some negative news, right? right? Maybe a biotech company comes out with negative results on its cancer drug and people want to sell the stock. Does the interest um, from the lender affect the point at which people want to buy back their shorts? It's, it's all a self-fulfilling prophecy, okay. right? You know, you, you, people see stock, the, the price of something moving, you know, people are wondering why it's moving. You know, they feel like, geez, it's going to move against me. And very quickly, as I mentioned earlier, where you can lose multiples of what you invest in, not just a hundred percent downside very quickly, you know, you, you panic, you know, you, you need to cover and you, you know, you, the problem is to short, you know, you're often borrowing capital. Right. And, and these banks that borrow, that lend you capital are called broker dealers. They have their own margin requirements. And so they need to make sure that there's proper collateral to cover. And what is the float? Float, the various, the, the easiest way to understand float is if you think about if I own a company and I decide to take the company quote unquote public, I may not in most, most times I'm not going to go and take hundred percent of the stock of the company public. I may only take 20% of the stock public. Well, there's actually another 80% of shares behind that. The float is that 20% that's out there trading in the market. Okay. So when people say things like there's 130% of the float still out there, like, what does that mean for people like me? Like, how do I understand that? <clears throat> the, the problem is there's, there's borrowed shares out there, right? And those borrowed shares create this kind of mismatch. Um, but that, that said, I mean, I truly believe that shorting is a market function that's kind of necessary to create efficiency. Um, so, so just getting back to the, the, the short and the squeeze, how did all the people on Reddit figure out that there was going to be a squeeze on this, this GameStop uh, stock? Well, what they did is they created the squeeze. So, I mean, if I can take a step back and kind of characterize the situation as I kind of see it. I mean, the first thing I should say uh, is that I'm not giving investment advice um, in this discussion. Noted. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, you know, essentially what you've had happen over the last, call it year, since the pandemic uh, has struck, you've had this confluence of factors that's gotten us to where we are today. You had the pandemic, which, you know, initially effectively canceled all sports betting, right? Because sports games, were, live sports was not existent. You had a bunch of people sitting at home and figuring out what they're going to do with their time. And, you know, smart people find interesting things to do. Um, and, you know, you, at the same time, you've had the onset of these platforms like Robinhood uh, that have offered essentially what we call in the investment world, frictionless trading, you know, no cost trading where you can buy and sell stuff for free. Um, historically, that's never been the case. And any kind of asset you trade, whether it's buying and selling a house or buying and selling a stock, you have to pay a, a fee. But what's happened is there's been this kind of democratization of trading and of the investing world. And, you know, very much what a Facebook has done to kind of socializing and communication, these uh, platforms have looked to, um, you know, democratize trading. And, you know, truth be told, you know, when you look at the Schwabs and the Fidelities of the world, um, where, uh, I mean, they've effectively had to, had to compete and offer zero cost trading as well. Um, but essentially, you know, you've had all these folks at home, they can trade for free. You don't have sports betting. All of a sudden with platforms like Robinhood, you can set up small accounts. You can set up an account with a thousand dollars or $5,000 and you no longer need to buy full shares. You can buy fractional shares. 
so you can build a portfolio at you know a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars and you know and then on top of all of that you've had all of this kind of social interaction of these online chat rooms you know so when you look historically retail of the entire trading we talk about retail we're talking about individuals like you and me or maybe not me but you know individuals that have little accounts that you're trading your ira or your in your taxable accounts considered retail retail is t- typically taken up around 14 to 15 percent of the trading volumes today retail is trading is, is taking up more like 20 percent. but the issue is that that 20 is concentrated in a few names um and 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 so what platforms like Robinhood have done is in order to go out to the masses invest your thousand bucks uh we're gonna the way the way Robinhood works is you know i i, I don't know how it, the entire model works but i have question over the kind of long-term sustainability what they do is they sell their 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 float they they i'm sorry they sell their flow of brokerage transactions so you know me and you can go on the platform we can trade for free Robinhood needs to make money somehow. They turn around to this giant trading firm based in Chicago called Citadel. And Citadel takes those trades, they go out in the market and they execute and they keep what's called a spread. They keep the difference between the buy and the sell. And they turn around and pay Robinhood a fee for that flow. Um, So, you know, Robinhood, while they claim that they're kind of taking from the rich and kind of giving to the poor, so to speak, you know... You know, my my director of research that works at Twin Focus, my partner, Jeff, he always says, you know, if, if you can't figure out how you're paying for it, you know, and you can't figure it out, you are the product. Right, right, right. right. So if you can't spot the sucker in the room, you're the sucker. You're the sucker. Right. So like going back for a second, like given given the everyday utility of the shorts <clears throat> and how potentially risky it is. I'm sorry, what's the everyday utility of the short okay. given how potentially okay. risky so, it is? So let me come back to, you know, where we were in this, the whole genesis of this. So, you know, this, the, you know, all of this stuff is going on in the background. In come this company called uh, GameStop. And, you know, I, I think there's no secret that, you know, GameStop is effectively a dying business. It's kind of today's blockbuster. Right. Uh, <clears throat> as, you know, everything's moving online. And this company is in kind of a, a long-term secular decline. And so you have a handful of managers out there that are, you know, hedge funds are typically looking to go long or buy the stocks that they really like, that they think are going to go up and to quote unquote, hedge their positions, they go short and they short single quote unquote, single name stocks. Um, Some managers today are moving away from this and are, and have been, you know, this is a common practice of, you know, instead of shorting single names, you can actually short indices. So you can more kind of, you know, hedge your market risk. But nonetheless, so, you know, managers that are looking to add value and believe stocks are going to go down are going to short single name stocks. Game, GameStop, right? You've got a declining business. You're going to go long the stocks you really like, and you're going to short these companies that you think with time will go, go to zero, so to speak, or go a lot, go down a lot. It makes a lot of sense, right? It's actually a, a pretty, you know, understandable trade. You know, you go long stuff you like and go short stuff you don't like. And, um, you know, income Melvin Capital, you know, this guy comes out of um, uh, Gabe Plumpkin, I think his name is. He comes out of um, fact check on that. Uh, he Get comes, on it, Guido. <laughs> uh, he comes out of SAC. He used to work for Steve <clears throat> Cohen as a, as a trader. And he launched his firm and he had a big launch, billions of dollars. Today manages like 12, you know, pre, pre this crisis here, manages about $12 billion. Uh, and, you know, th- these guys, these hedge funds, 
they also run with a lot of leverage, which we haven't talked about yet. Um, you know, effectively, just like all of us, if we go buy a home, you put down 20% or 30% of the capital, you can, the bank's going to willing to loan you money and you can buy a lot bigger home. Right. Uh, well, hedge funds do the same thing. They borrow from the banks and they have, you know, call it 20 or 30% or sometimes less than that of capital. The banks loan the money and effectively the hedge fund has to take the first loss, right? Uh, the bank doesn't take the loss. The bank wants their money back plus their interest rate. And so Gabe, you know, Gabe and his team came into this, you know, situation long this, you know, long their portfolio and short this, 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 this and other stocks that they believe were going to go down. So is this what market manipulation boils down to? Like these guys coming out and saying like, like how do, like, uh, who's the guy? Uh, was it, um, um, in my notes here, is it the, the restaurant guy who was like, look, all these restaurants are going to fail. So he shorted them all. And then he went up, he, he first went on, um, uh, and publicly said, look, all these restaurants are going to fail. Then he decided to short the stocks for those restaurants. I mean, is that market manipulation? So there's different types of mar- of market manipulation. You know, sh- certainly that can happen. There's there's something called front running where maybe you get in front of trades that are going to occur. You know what you can't do. Is, so the SEC is th- this is illegal, right? You can't you can't manipulate markets. The SEC gets involved in markets to help to help protect investors. You know, despite what folks may think, that's why they're there. They're a regulatory body. You know, but I guess you know, I guess I'm that's a where the in Massachusetts on the State Athletic Commission. Right. We're there to protect the athletes and to protect the sport. And it's the same thing with the SEC. People like me, though, will wonder, where does manipulation, where's the tolerance line for market manipulation for what they'll allow versus when they decide, you know what, that's quite enough. Uh, Now I'm going to go ahead and protect these people. I mean, I know someone who worked for the SEC and then turned around within a year and then worked for privately for a hedge fund. I mean, things like that seem to be like a gigantic conflict of interest. You're just, you're basically going from one industry to the other to tell people how to get away with shit. Well, it's, it's not get away with stuff. It's actually, I mean, I have a head of compliance. I've had a former heads of compliance that were from the SEC um, and it's not get away with stuff. I mean, you know, it's, it's the same reason you may hire an attorney that was used to be a judge, right? Cause you know how the system works. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I mean, personally, since, you know, it's very different for me since I own a business in the space, I actually consider my compliance department, like my partner. I like, I want to make sure I follow the rules. Right. And, you know, this is a, it's a heavily regulated industry. And, you know, I, I realize that, and, and by the way, I don't charge two and 20. I wish I could make two and 20, but, um, and I'm not necessarily on the side of the wall street fat cat, but, you know, I think that, I think that generally wall street is a place where it's trying to separate investors from their money. And regardless of what you invest in and regardless of who you hire to invest your money, you have to kind of understand that. And, you know, when you hire somebody to invest your money, hopefully you can align your incentives. You know? Right. But when, in, when these hedge funds, I mean, the problem with hedge funds is in, incentives and, and other, you know, and other funds like this, incentives aren't necessarily aligned where the manager makes 2% just to wake up in the morning. So right? it, it doesn't seem too much different to me than taking, you know, a couple grand and going up to the casino. The house has an edge. I go in there and I know the house has an edge. I'm going to gamble anyway. I may win, I may lose, but like, I don't get pissed at the casino. I mean, sometimes I get pissed at the casino just, but it's my own fault when I can't afford pancakes in the morning. But why is there so much vitriol do you think right now between what, you know, people are calling like the Redditors or the retail investors and the people who operate the hedge funds? I mean, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. There's definitely a feeling online and that's all I can talk about anecdotally, the people I speak with 
that they're getting back at the man or that the hedge fund people, the Wall Street, the SEC, everyone's in bed together and they're out to screw the little guy and they're manipulating the market when it benefits them. And then they turn around and do things like halt trading, limit the share uh, uh, share sales to one at a time on Robinhood. Like, how do things like that happen? And what what is a logical explanation for those things? So I, I understand how it feels like you know, everybody's against the little guy. I will tell you, if anything, it's the SEC is versus the investment community, right? The SEC is considered the police in the investment business. Um, so, you know, I- Cops I, get bought off all the time. We, 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 I don't think that goes on. I, I just don't. I mean, I, I just don't. I mean, I think that there is manipulation in other ways, but I think the SEC is very on top of this stuff. You know, insider trading. There's been huge cases with guys that big, big billionaire guys that have gone down for insider trading. You know, and and all of that <clears throat> stuff. I think is market manipulation. I mean, market manipulation in stocks is saying things that it, it are not true, right. right? And then and then getting in front of that. I mean, in the end of the day, generally the professional investors are are. Yeah, and I'm not speaking for algorithmic trading, but I think fundamental long short hedge fund managers are looking to find value, right? Looking to figure out where they can, you know, I mean, to be a successful investor long term, you've got to figure out how to how to mute the noise. Right. Right. Because that's what drives markets day to day noise. You know, Graham, the, the legendary investor, used to say that the markets short term are a voting machine and long term they're a scale. Because fundamentals come out in the end of the day, right? Right. You just need to make sure that you have the ability to stay solvent, right? John Maynard Keynes used to, would say that the markets have the ability to stay solvent, irrational longer than you can stay solvent, and mm -hmm. that's effectively what's happened over the last couple, you know, couple of weeks here. The markets were super irrational, and the managers couldn't stay solvent. So you had Melvin Capital that was trading this; they had experienced like fifty percent down losses. They, you know, a huge, huge hedge fund invested in by other big managers. These managers had to come in and write $2.75 billion in checks to save these guys from having to sell their stock. <clears throat> you know, what happened back to your earlier question with the SEC is the SEC came in and, you know, when they halt trading, what they do is they halt trading because there's so much volatility in stocks. They don't want people to get hurt by this, you know, and, and that's why they're there. It's, it's Which people manager. though, in this case, it seems like the people they didn't want to get hurt were the hedge fund managers and the people that were not getting well in the meantime were the retail investors. So that's where the perception comes from. So I think, you know, over the last week, it's all come out what happened with Robin Hood, right? And, you know, effectively what happened with Robin Hood is I talked earlier about this 15 going to 20% of retail investors investing. A lot of that volume is, has been concentrated to the Robinhood platform. And as I said earlier, you know, these platforms, these brokerage firms, they need to be capitalized with capital because the SEC and the regulatory bodies require a certain amount of, uh, of balance there, of reserve capital. And they ran out of reserve capital. Okay. And, and they, were, they were literally, they saw it coming and they saw a train coming at them and they had to shut things down. Over the last week, as we've seen, Robinhood's raised like three or $4 billion. Fact right. check on that. So, yeah. So that's like, uh, if I put on an MMA show, I've got to have all the fighter purses and everything in escrow to be sure that exactly. everyone gets paid on time. Exactly. Okay. So it's not necessarily that people online think that they stopped the trading so that I can't continue to make money. It's that there are safety markers in place and they were not able to comply with those safety markers. Correct. And the perception certainly can be that the safety markers in this case are in place to protect like the big guy and not so much the little guy. Correct. The casinos do the same thing. The casinos are re required to keep a reserve. If not, they have to stop trading. Right. The, the thing that I would say is, you know, I, I mean, 
on one hand, I agree with you that in many ways, the stock market is like a casino. Again, successful long-term investors try to figure out how to mute the noise and figure out what works. Right. right. But, you know, ideally, you know, the average hedge fund investor is trying to find value. They're, they're not looking at it as betting. You know, it's very different than sitting in a screen, buying and selling. I mean, first of all, that kind of trading, this day trading, you know, for at least the types of hedge funds I invest in, it's not tax efficient, you know? So, you know, you got to buy and hold stocks that you, you know, you believe. Well, what makes something tax efficient? Uh, well, currently under the current tax regime in America, you pay, call it 40 or 50% when you sell anything less than a year that you hold less than a year, a stock or real estate. So they're encouraging you to hold it. You're encouraged to hold generally things. If you hold things long-term in the U.S. currently, and this is under under review and consideration by the Biden campaign, but currently you pay about 20% on long-term gains and 40% on short-term gains. Under Biden, they're considering making short and long-term gains the same same amount, which would, you know, well, which, which, which way would they move the needle to the, the high side or the, the high side? Side. Everything Ugh. would be, would be priced at, at short term. Gotcha. So all my buddies with the paper hands who went out and like, uh, saw the dip and they sold all their GME and their, and their AMC, they're going to have to pay 50, 40 to 50% on that anyway. Okay. So you hear that dipshits, all you guys who went and sold your stuff cause you wanted $300 worth of profit. You're going to wind up with a buck 50. It's not going to cover my bar tab before nine o'clock. <laughs> Fucking people ruin it for everybody. It, 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 short-term taxes are killer. So <clears throat> when the sec steps in and they halt trading, I understand now that there are safety markers involved, but wouldn't wouldn't it be easier to not have those safety markers involved and let an actual freer market run its course? You know, the SEC does this not only with single name stocks, but they also do this with the entire market, right? There are a fact check on this, but I think when the market's down a thousand points or up a thousand points, it hits a circuit breaker where it takes a rest. And the reason they and then and then they let it resume trading and then and, and what they want to have happen is let news come out 7%. 7%. They want the news to come out and they want, um, they want some rationality to come into the markets. And, you know, and, and so we actually saw this. So happen. they're manipulating then, the market. Call it manipulating. But again, what they're trying <clears throat> to do is protect investors. They, you know, the, the issue is the mar- there's a lot piled on these markets today, right? Right. It's, you know, in addition, to, which is what exacerbated this volatility over these last couple of weeks. It's not just stocks going up and down, but as many have heard, people have been trading options on these names, right? So there's That's a whole other thing. I don't whole even Whole other thing, right? Whole other thing. And, you know, you've heard about suicides on the Robinhood platform because people woke up and they realized they were down 750,000 and, and they were negative and they had no ability to pay that back, right? It, that's what can happen, right? And, you know, that can help happen to institutional investors. And by the way, when we talk about institutional investors, we're ultimately talking about individuals because most of these folks manage pension funds, right? And things for- Right, because an, an institutional investor is just made up of a lot of individual exactly. investors, right? In part, there are other types of institutional investors today, like sovereign wealth funds or or insurance companies or, you know, other types of- so, so I understand that the SEC steps in to kind of like take a breather and make sure things don't get turn into total calamity here. But, and obviously they make the law, so that's legal. But is it moral? Is it moral to step in when you set up a system to kind of like run itself and then you just apply the brakes at an arbitrary moment where you think that things could get out of control here, so I'm going to stop everything right now? Is that moral to do to people? Uh, 
shouldn't you, like both the winners I mean, and the losers. I know losers. you're a philosopher, but you know, it's like, is it Adam Smith fact checked on the invisible hand? Guido's working hard tonight. Uh, you know, the, the invisible hand of, of, you know, yeah. right. Adam Smith, right. I mean, this is what government's here for, right? I mean, is it moral that we pay taxes, right? Or is it moral that I pay a lot more in taxes than you, if you make, you know, hundred grand versus what I make, right? Is that moral? I mean, this is what government's there for, you know, government's there to try to keep <clears throat> everything on the rails. So, yeah, it's, I, I agree with you that government's there to keep it on the rails. I just, uh, it's, you know, another conversation. I don't agree with the way that they do it and which rails they keep, which people on. I think it's kind of a, uh, but that changes too, right. Yeah. Depending on who's in office and who's appointed for various positions. And, you know, it, it changes. I mean, and there's all this other perverse conflicts and stuff. And, you know, so there was an idea last week that I read online that someone from Robin Hood uh, was whistleblowing and they had said that the white house called and said to them, and maybe this falls under the umbrella of what we just talked about with the trading halts and everything that the white house called and said, you've got to stop the trading, uh, limit the shares to one, one per sale. Does stuff like that ever happen? I mean, does, does is there someone sitting in a white house office that says Robin hood, stop doing this. And so so first to be clear, from what I understand, when Robinhood prevented their investors from quote unquote trading, and this, you'll have to do a fact check on this. I believe they prevented them from buying, not from selling. Right. I think, you know, I, I think the issue is I don't think you can prevent investors. I, I mean, I think it's an, some kind of SEC violation unless there was some like exogenous, big exogenous macro right. event, you know, where you just couldn't sell. But, you know, I, I know, you know, from being an SEC registered investment advisor, like if a client wants to sell something and you don't follow those directions, you've got blood on your hands. There's culpability there. Right. And so I think what I think they were allowing investors to sell, but they weren't they, ha they had to halt buying because they didn't have basically they didn't have the capital reserves <clears throat> to be able to go out in the market and trade and the volumes had, had increased so great. And so where do they get the capital reserves from banks? Well, initially investors, but initially they didn't have them. So they had to, and I think the CEO saw this coming and he had to just, you know, he was getting advice from his probably legal and compliance folks, stop things. And then he, um, and then, then they were able to raise additional equity capital, which is they've done. And, you know, clearly they have a lot of loyal investors because I think they've raised three or 4 billion, like, like we said. Yeah. Like, like since Thursday or something. Yeah. How much we know? 3.4 billion. Yeah. Last week there was like a billion dollar and then, uh couple more this week. Okay. So all that being said, it seems like, you know, a lot of these big wall street firms, they privatize the gains and they collectivize the losses kind of like in 2008 housing crisis. So that means they don't really have any skin in the game and therefore they don't really have anything, any reason to mediate the risk. So that really pisses normal people off. Is this, is this an accurate representation? Yes or no? Uh, at the margin, I think it's, it's accurate. Um, but you know, Wall Street firms make money by taking risks. So they, they do take risk, but they take very deliberate risk. So they look to, quote unquote, hedge out risks that they don't want to take. So, you know, in the, the housing crisis, you know, there was a lot of um, scrutiny over Goldman Sachs, who, you know, on one hand was selling mortgages to the clients, but on their personal balance sheet, they were actually short mortgages, short subprime mortgages. Um I mean, that's, that's the game, right? And, you know, it, it's the same thing that a corn cropper would do, right? Where you, you're, you're, you're long a bunch of corn, you can go sell it forward in the market, in the futures market. So, I mean, you know, in, in businesses, you look to hedge and, and Wall Street is no different. 
Gotcha. So would that be would that fall into the category of when people say this game is just rigged? They people people think this is rigged somehow against them. And I'm I'm certainly not smart enough to know if it it's rigged against us or not, but I mean, I'm just trying to get to the heart of the matter. I mean, look, personally, um, I'm in this business. I make a living in this business. So you, maybe you say I'm conflicted, but I believe in actually, you know, investing and finding value and finding good investment opportunities. And I believe you can do that. So do I think it's rigged? No, I, I don't think it's rigged. Can I understand how the little guy may think it's rigged? Yeah, I think the little guy thinks a lot of the world is rigged because right. frankly, it is kind of rigged against them. Right. And, right. And, and, and that's, you know, you know, in anything in life, you need to have scale to be quote unquote successful. And, right. you know, whether you're got a bunch of software engineers or, or whether you have a hotel, you can't make money in a hotel with three bedrooms, right? You need scale. It's the same thing with, with everything else. You need scale. Gotcha. Should brokerage firms like Robinhood be allowed to sell the data they gain from retail investors to larger firms like Melvin Capital? Is that ethical? Um, you know, Wall Street is this place where you can kind of do whatever you want if you <clears throat> disclaim or you disclose. And so I think they get away with it, you know, and I'm not an expert on the regulatory side, but I think they get away with it because they, you know, in the fine print, they disclose just like Facebook, you know, sells your information, your data to give you that platform. Um, it's in the fine print. So, I mean, is it ethical? I think it, like anything in life, I think it's buyer beware. So the argument could be made that that's the real reason that a platform like, uh, like Robinhood even exists. They're not really making huge profits off the retail investor. They're making profits off selling the information on the other end. Well, Robinhood is a for-profit business, you know, despite being called Robinhood and stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, uh, you know, Robinhood is a for-profit business. It's in, in business and it's supported by its investors to make money. And the way they need to pay for their business is by selling the flow. Um, it's currently legal. You know, there are, there are things that pop up where they be, they are once legal and then they become illegal. For example, back in and around like 1999, 2000, you used to be able to trade mutual funds after the bell. Like, you know, if you had relationships, good relationships with your brokers at four o'clock every day, mutual funds are priced and you could see what was going on in other markets and you could trade after the bell if you had good relationships with your broker. That was one time legal. Elliot Spitzer came in and made it illegal. And he then went actually back and locked up like a bunch of the guys or basically fined a bunch of the guys that had been doing this, even though it wasn't illegal at the time. So, I mean, the rules can change. So they retroactively prosecuted people? In that situation, to, my, to the best of my understanding, they, they did. Um, that's not always the case. You know, you can't always do that, but you know, look, it's the government. They can do what they want. Right now. D again, do I think that it's rigged? No, I think that the government is trying to protect individuals. I think it's trying to protect its citizens. And if they don't, they get changed with new government that the citizens feel are going to protect them. Remember when Andrew was legal and everybody was getting swole in the gym back in like the <laughs> late nineties, then all of a sudden it was too effective. So the government stepped in and made Andrew illegal. I feel like that was kind of fucked up and maybe <laughs> less ethical of the government because now I'm interested in gains, different type of gains, but illegal. <laughs> the fact that they made Andrew illegal eliminated a lot of my gains. 
<clears throat> so when Robinhood gets this funding to kind of cover their shorts here, the, the billion dollars they got last week, what was it, Guido, like $3.7 billion? 3.4. Tell me again, where are they getting this? They're getting this from the investors? From their large investors. Typically, you know, a, a unicorn business like Robinhood is today. Uh, has very large investors, big institutional investors that have invested in them, big money managers, big insurance companies, whatever it may be. And uh, there was effectively a margin call in their business, right? A capital call in their business. So their investors had to make the decision. We either don't support them or we support them and help them try to succeed, right? What now can you tell? The funny thing is the, the number of accounts that have been opened in Robinhood because of this whole, you know, craziness uh, has like increased exponentially, you know, so right. you know, the underlying business is doing, it seems okay. to be doing fine. They're going to make out on both ends. I don't know. I, I'm not sure that their business model is long-term sustainable because I think probably at some point, maybe the SEC decides that it's not. Legal. Also their PR is going to come hammering down on them. I, you know, what What do they say in PR? What's the old expression? Any, any attention any, is good attention? Exactly. Bad, yeah. bad news is, is, is good news. I mean, like, you know, it's probably a good thing. And so when you said that they had a margin call or a capital call, what does that mean exactly? So very similar to the way that a hedge fund uh, may get a capital call um, because their collateral, the amount of collateral went down versus the borrowings from the bank. The SEC requires them to keep a certain amount of reserve. And they were violating that because of the trading volumes that they experienced. Um, and as a result, they needed to shut down and they needed to figure out how they recapitalize or, you know, inject some additional capital or equity into their balance sheet. And, and as such, you know, a bunch of their investors came in and wrote some big checks, clearly. So anyone could come in and invest in that side of things, giving them that money? Um, well, not anybody. I mean, you have to have a relationship with the firm. Like, so, you know, it, it, it's typically... Uh, uncommon for individuals to have the ability to invest in like big private deals like that because again you have to have scale so as a selfish mets fan how is my man steve cohen involved in this and please tell me that we're not going to have another situation where um like the will ponds couldn't sign a goddamn free agent because they gave bernie madoff all their money please tell me that's not about to happen i, I think steve cohen is doing just fine um <laughs> so to my understanding Steve Cohen was a large investor or is a large investor in, um, in Gabe's fund. Uh, and they, so Gabe's fund had a massive pull down in their, their positions and their collateral effectively shrunk and they had a margin call. And so the investors had to post capital. So Gabe and his, you know, Melvin capital turn around to their investors and say, if you don't want us to lock in these losses, and you want to enable us to be able to hold on to these positions, we need you guys to invest some more capital. So as a result, uh, Stephen Cohen, who formerly ran SAC, now runs a firm called Point72, which is effectively his family office. I think it's like a $20 billion family office. I think it's all his money. Um, he invested you know, some billion dollars along with uh, another billionaire named Ken Griffith from Citadel, which was also an investor. The funny thing is Citadel was on both sides of the trade because Citadel was an had to write a check for Melvin, right? They, they probably wrote a billion dollar check. I have no idea. Um, and in addition, they're the ones who is on the other side of Robinhood buying their flow. So, uh. so they, they, yeah, they, I mean, they, they not, I mean, they, they were in a shit storm, frankly, right. They had, oh, they, they, they had a shit storm going on. When you say they, they had a choice to lock in their losses or hold the position long, what does that mean? Like they were going to have to like just eat shit and, and deal with 
define that for us? Because I mean, you're using industry terms you don't even realize are industry. No, 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 don't apologize. But I think a lot of people like- uh, So for example, there's this thing called a margin call. Yep. Okay. Let's say you go to the casino and the casino gives you a line of credit. And they say, you know, John, welcome to the Sands or, you know- Thank you very much. Welcome to the Sands. Um, We know you're such a big high roller. We're going to give you a million dollars credit. But what we would like you to do is give us a couple hundred grand of deposit. And so they're holding your 200 grand. They're going to give you a million dollars to go out there and gamble. And you're throwing your chips all over the tables. Balling. Balling. <clears throat> Drinks flowing. You know, strippers. Babes everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. It's just, just you know, a regular weekend just a, for the big guy. It's just a complete free-for-all. Uh, and um, But all of a sudden, you have a bad stroke of luck. And you start losing. You're losing at the craps table. You're losing at roulette. I mean, you just start to bleed. Babes disappear. Babes are gone. You know, they're, they're feeding you more drinks, you know, yeah. but babes are gone. And all of a sudden, you're down 150. Okay. Million bucks, not that much, 15%. The problem is you're actually down 75% on your capital, right? Because you only had 200 grand you had to post. And so the casino gets nervous and they say, you know what? We're going to put a stop here. Either you give us some more capital and we'll let you continue to roll or um, you're done, you know, and you close out and you got to go home. Remember, you know, when you're playing with levered money, even when you're buying a house for a million bucks and you're putting down two or 300 grand, your first loss, right? So if you overpay for your house in a pandemic situation by 10% or 20%, you turn around to sell it. Then a year later, your first loss, the bank doesn't give a shit. They actually want their money back plus the interest, right? Right. And it's the same thing here, right? The difference is here, you know, so, so effectively that's what happens with borrowed money. But, you know, effectively here, you had a similar situation where the SEC requires certain capital adequacy levels. Right. They, they require these firms to have certain amounts of, of capital on hand to be able to buffer these types of losses. And, you know, if you don't is when, you know, you risk being kind of stopped out. So what types of things are going to be put in place to prevent another episode like this? I don't know. Jury's still out. Right. The SEC is going to figure out how to deal with this. I will tell you, it has changed the game for um you know for the money manager for the hedge fund manager that we're shorting small cap stocks you know they're going to think twice about doing that because these types of things can happen i mean you know it's 2020 2021 you're like you, you know anything can happen right right um i think that like the big thing there is like um people are upset that they feel like uh, a short is someone who's got so much money coming in that they kind of don't care what happens to a small business or like a failing industry or whatever. And you're actually betting for them to lose. And that's where the vitriol comes from. But I don't understand that honestly, because anytime you place a bet, you're actually betting for someone to lose. You're, you're always betting for against somebody, right? right? Even as a customer, if you decide to go to the new dry cleaner around the corner, not betting against the other one. Exactly. So, I mean, the thing is with markets is shorting enables you to do, it, it creates that efficiency. Right. You know, despite the fact that everyone wants, you know, people to survive forever and get some government stimulus and invest in businesses to go on, there's a lot of businesses that probably shouldn't be in business today, right? And, you know, when you have economic crises, those businesses, it's Darwinian, 
right? It's a Darwinian right. effect. So, and so you think Robin Hood is going to come out of this? You think they're going to be able to pull it off? I, you know, I can't comment comment on where I think they go. I mean, I, right now, I think they're going to do okay, right? They've gotten the capital. I, again, I don't know what happens with the long term business model, but right now, they they seem to have you know been okay. You know, it sometimes like these investments become too big to fail, right? Where investors are like too far in, it's like you know, and you know maybe they still see fundamental value, but got to write a check. Got to write right. a check. I've been in that situation with investments before, where you know it was like you're in a shit storm. Everyone thinks you're down and out. You know, you get up off the mat, your head's still a little spinning and, you know, can you do this or not? And somehow you get that injection and you win, right? That, that, that can happen. I so. think, I think a lot of people, they don't really, um, the main concern is they don't want to see a situation kind of like 2008 where, uh, people were careless with investing in the way that they handled other people's money. And at the end of the day, the taxpayer pays twice. The taxpayer pays for the bailout and we took the hit for the entire thing collapsing on us. So 2008, and I don't know if you can do this type of fact check, but I really think that 2008, I think the government actually ended up doing really, really well on the investments they made in 2008. Um, so it wasn't, it, in, in fact, the, the taxpayer didn't, you know, didn't pay for it, they actually made out. Um, but I'm not saying that always happens. But again, that's what government is there to do. Right? Explain that though, because people see the government injecting money into something to save it. And the, the prevailing theory is that the government has no money. It's all, it's all our money. It's all so, taxpayer so money. This most recent pandemic is very different than 2008, where 2008, the government stepped in and actually made investments in these companies. Like they made them as like notes, right? They made them as loans and they got equity. And there was, uh, you know, it was, it was very different than this pandemic where you've had the government step in and help some bailouts in some companies and some industries, but this pandemic, they've actually come out and written checks to everybody, you know, through PPP loans. So for instance, they did the bailout with uh, Freddie Mac. Uh, it cost them $190 million to bail out. However, they netted $68 billion in profit. Right. So, so the government made money on everybody yeah, losing their homes, those motherfuckers. Yeah, they, they made money with G, the GM investment. I mean, you know, so... I'm not saying that that always happens, but I mean, again, like I'm, uh, government is there to try to keep, keep society on rails, right. And, and prevent, you know, complete social unrest and calamity and, you know. So if it, it's nothing like what's going on now with some of these stocks, which I, when I read online, people are very concerned with the government is going to bail some of these hedge funds out. That's probably well, unlikely. Th that is, in my opinion, that is completely unlikely that the government is going to bail hedge funds out. Um, you know, again, you know, some of these stocks that right now, the last couple of days, a lot of these stocks have been halted by the SEC because of the volatility. Right. And I, I don't think that they're in cahoots with anybody. I think that there's just so much, you know, it can be dangerous with so much retail money again, because retail tends to be short term. It's, it tends to be, you know, it's the dangerous. retail I mean, money is retail the retail money is like the day trader. It's the, the guy who just opens the trade. Or you know, when my my Instagram messenger is filling up with you know fifty friends, you know, an hour asking me about that have never asked me for investment advice in, ever, and they're asking me about right. you know going long or short stocks or what I think about silver or what I think about Bitcoin. Well, that's the other thing. Like, what's going on? Like, you know, they're pushing this silver idea now that all the redditors and the Wall Street. First of all. WSB should not be Wall Street bets. It should be Wall Street bros. And I'm going to push for that movement starting now. Uh, the idea is that if they can get the Wall Street bets people 
to start investing in silver, they won't have the the liquidity to also hold on to the GME and Listen, the AMC. The challenge is if there's no fundamental, like underlying fundamental case why you should own something and you're just driving the price up, who gets stuck holding the bag? I have right? a question first. Who, who gets stuck in the musical chair without a chair? Right? Is it is it true that fundamentals are the crutch of the cowardly? <laughs> <laughs> But no, I hear what you're saying. That's what my buddy told me too. It's a, it's a musical chairs game. Someone's going to get stuck with no seat. Yep. The guy that buys at the top or whatever, guy guy who gets yep. in late, whatever that. Yep. And, it, you know, again, like on a short-term basis, is the same thing that we've seen going on with Bitcoin. Like you can't invest what you can't withstand volatility and can't withstand the potential right. to lose. I mean, that's why they say in finance, diversification is the only free lunch. So, I mean, I know you're not here to talk about Bitcoin, but you did just mention it. Dude, what the fuck? I have no concept of what Bitcoin is or how we're doing it or what's going on or blockchain or any of that nonsense. How can something that's imaginary have a value? And if it's got a value and that value goes up, how can I utilize the increase in value? How do I how do I pull those profits down and apply them to my life? Like if I invest in a Bitcoin or a fraction of a Bitcoin and then it goes up like how can I pay my bar tab with that Bitcoin? So actually you can pay a bar tab with Bitcoin because you, you can actually get a Bitcoin credit card today. Oh, really? Yeah. I got to get one of those. Um, so like pimp. here's what I'll say. Like I was a, I was not a, like I thought Bitcoin was a bit voodoo for many years. And I have some friends that are like major, major Bitcoin guys and, and have been for like, uh, you know, seven, eight years have been super on the straight and made a fortune at it. And they're very close friends of mine that I thought there was a, were a little crazy. And I would say about a year ago, I became more and more interested in thinking that this is going to, this is, this is here to last. Um, Bitcoin is basically, you know, it's basically, do you, what do you think of gold? Right? Well, I mean, I can go find some gold and touch it and rub it on my stomach. I can't rub a Bitcoin all yeah, over my nipples. True. This is true. So I think that Bitcoin is basically the internet's personification of gold. I think it is basically the internet and gold having a, a child is Bitcoin. Mm. And I don't think that Bitcoin is a digital currency. I'd like to see the consummation. <laughs> that, that would be an interesting Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's so much currency. I think it's much more of an asset, kind of like gold. I don't think gold is a currency. Like we're not walking around. We're not trading in gold. You could. It used to be done. And you could trade in Bitcoin. But I think did, I think. Bitcoin is literally digital gold. Um, and you think it's not going anywhere? I think that the risk of it going to zero, zero and governments coming in, it is absolutely a risk. It's probably one of the key risks. But I think that that risk has been mitigated significantly. Gotcha. I think there, there I know there's been comments out of the um, the Federal Reserve or that should, that should be a fact check. Um, but th there's been comments out of the U S kind of, you know, federal reserve, the mint, the sec that it's, you know, it, it's kind of accepted. You've got JP Morgan Citigroup fact check on that. I am pretty sure accepting it on their platform. Fidelity in Boston is a major Bitcoin investor. They've got a big platform for it. I think it's, I think it's here to stay. Um, and I think it is absolutely going to be extremely volatile, but I think over the next five years, I think you're going to make a lot of money. The issue with most retail investors is they have very short time horizons. And right. that would be the big difference between retail and institutional is typically institutional has a much longer time horizon. And by time horizon, you mean like uh, duration? The ability to buy something and not, and not sell it. 
Gotcha. You can hold it for a longer period of time. You were going to use an investment term. I was going to use it, but then I duration duration yeah. <laughs> duration is the term. yeah um so getting back to like the uh the meme stock thing that's going on right now for people who are older than 20 years old or 25 years old who have seen trading places how is this analogous to the the closing scene the penultimate scene in trading places where they supply the false crop report and then they allow people to follow the duke brothers and their investment strategy and meanwhile uh, Billy Ray is making a mint on the real stuff, the real orange crop report. I, I think the major difference here is that unfortunately the retail investors think they're doing the right thing, but they're actually doing the wrong thing. Like, like I think we can all agree that GameStop. Why are they doing the wrong thing? Like if GameStop some is not worth what it's trading at. If okay. you're buying it at that price, you're betting on the greater fool theory. You're betting on another. There's another dipshit going to come in after you and going to pay a higher price because the the hedge funds are saying it's worth less because they've done their work on the on the stock. And but the earlier we talked about how there's a system in place, and if there's a system in place, what they're trying to do. I, in my opinion, I think a lot of these Reddit guys are trying to manipulate the stock, and they're saying, "Screw you!" Oh, guys. here we go. Paul's had a couple of drinks, and now he doesn't want the stock well, manipulated against well, him. No, no, and, and it's not not me. I mean, I, I I'll take my losses on this type of stuff, but you know, I mean, they're they're saying. We actually think it's worth more. Okay, well, you know what? You know, if you think it's worth more, now what's happening today, I think with all of the the losses today, I think it's it's wiped out the returns over the last couple of weeks here. Well, that's kind of what I was talking about earlier on, like what the difference between like what a stock price reads on your on your fucking E-Trade account and what the company is really worth. Back to my back to my earlier comment, you know, Benjamin Graham used to say the market short term is a scale long-term, sorry, short-term, it's a voting machine. Long-term, it's a scale. The weight comes out in the long-term. Right. Right. You see what something's really worth fundamental. I mean, the the problem is sometimes it takes a long time to get to the fundamental price. The faster you get to the fundamental price, you know, the intrinsic value, the more, the faster you make money. And because institutional investors have more of an ability to wait longer, they're going to get to the fundamental price. They have two Retail guys probably won't. They have time and they also have information. Like when you're an institutional investor, like you have access to great intel. From Robinhood selling your shit. And when you're a retail investor and you're reading Reddit, like the institutional investors are doing the numbers. They're looking at, they're building financial models. They're talking to management, all fair disclosure. I'm reading a meme on Instagram. You know, it's like anti-vaxxer, like, you know, anti-vax. Can't have a Well, that's, I mean, I think that's one of the real reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because I believe that that's exactly what goes on. And it happens in every industry. Anytime that there's some sort of an event, I mean, this isn't necessarily, I don't know, is this a black swan event? I don't know. You know, buyer beware. Buyer beware. I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in that. But my, one of the things I wanted to accomplish was I have this thing and it's a personal thing and I have many faults. And this is one of them. I fucking despise when people try to act like the man, like they're on, they're inside some inner circle by dropping insider language that they learned on a meme. And when you string all these words together, sure, individually, each one is an insider term, but when you string them together, it sounds like fucking pig Latin. You have no idea what you're talking about. Happens in my industry all the time. And, uh, and as this whole thing has been unfolding, I'm sure it happens in your industry. And God forbid, like someone who actually is honest in politics comes out one day and says, man, these idiots online, look at what they're talking about. Like the things that are happening online are very rarely representative of what's actually happening in that industry. And that's one of the things I wanted to kind of clear up here because 
I know some motherfuckers running around the gym who are like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to short squeeze this and short squeeze that. Really? You don't even, you don't even have two nickels to rub together for lunch. You're, you're not short squeezing anything. You're, you're, you're probably robbing a kind bar from the gas station. You're not short squeezing anything. <laughs> so that was one of the things I really hope to, to accomplish. And I feel like we kind of did. Yeah, and, good, and good. are happy and to help are. you on your mission. Yeah, well, um, thank you for that. <laughs> spelling idiocy. Um, let me see. So I guess I kind of already asked, like, what do you think a ripple effect will, of this will be? Um, it's difficult to say how it will play out. What what regulations get put in place so that this doesn't happen again? Um, I I think personally, um, with the rash of Instagram accounts and Reddit posts and forums. Uh, of people giving out this type of advice, simply putting the disclaimer on the bottom that I'm not a qualified or registered or certified financial uh, analyst or advisor or whatever, whatever, doesn't fucking matter. Because if you got 300,000 followers, people are going to do what you say. And, And then it just comes back to, you know what? Who says that any of those accounts on Instagram or Reddit are not getting paid through the back door and they're just not manipulating the market by putting out false information? So I think that some classic Sun Tzu shit. Yeah, I think that it's again, it is buyer beware, and I think that the SEC is going to get involved. I think there'll be more regulation around this. Um, I think that I also, at the same time, I also think that people need to be more financially astute, and I think that learning to invest in, uh, you know, a trade stocks, and I think that's a good thing. So a, a popular meme that's been going around is kind of exactly what you said and it's from the point of view of the little guy and it says rich people are always saying oh learn how to invest your money learn how to invest your money oh no not like that in reference to like what we had talked about earlier robin hood saying stop investing in you know or, or limiting the shares and uh you know freezing accounts and i actually do think that they they stopped on the sales too i think i saw something like really? that really i yeah i i, I mean look I, I came from no money and, you know, I've made some money and part of the learning process like jujitsu is getting smashed. Right. I mean, that's really the only way you learn. And, and I think that the challenge though, is with these new investors is they come in and they think they go from white to purple, right. white to brown, and it doesn't work that way. Like you got to get smashed along the way. Right. And you don't think that, I mean these guys, these big hedge fund guys have had some major losses and, and, you know, it hurts more as you get older, right? Cause you got more to lose, right? but you don't think they've lost before. I mean, yeah, they, they got smashed along the way. It's like, you know, you know, I guy I roll with every morning. I tell him I basically have a, you know, a black belt and running my type of business. You, you didn't get, get there without away. getting your scars. Lots of them along the way. And that's, and that's, you know, that that's part of it. And I think the, you know, folks coming in, whether you're buying Bitcoin or whether you're buying GME and you can, you can double your money or triple your money. It just doesn't work that way. You know, if it was that easy, everybody would do it. I always remember that. If it was that easy, everybody would do it. I mean, that goes for a lot of things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And as today kind of closes, I mean, it's Tuesday, February 2nd. I don't know when I'll get this thing edited and get it out there. I mean, it seems like today uh, there's a large dip. Uh, Is this something that you see continuing to drop or do you think that people are going to come back in because i know a lot of chicken shits that sold today you know who i'm talking to 
I know a lot of chicken shits that sold today who are talking about, oh, I'm going to hold, I'm going to lose everything, I'm going to lose everything. And then they sold today as soon as there's a dip. Do you think they're going to come back in on the dip or do you think they're just out and they're just too risk averse? I think people have short memories. And and I think FOMO is a powerful thing. Um, So, you know, I think the jury's out. But I I think the retail investor is here to stay. I think the the rise of the retail and this renaissance of retail is here. Um, Let's see if it subsides once we have, you know, a vaccine out there in the market and people back to work and back in the office. And let's see if they have the time, you know. Do you have any questions of me? Um. What do you think of the whole situation? <clears throat> I think it's really cool, actually. I think it's a, I think it's, it's a great thought experiment. I think there's a philosophical aspect to it. I think it's great to see anytime anything like this happens, people are getting educated, and so there's a stance when this started that I'll never understand enough of this to be involved. I don't have the kind of money where I have a humongous portfolio or a financial planner or a financial advisor. But some of these retail trading apps, E-Trade, Robinhood, whatever. You got me. Yeah, I got, I got, got you. But I, think, but I think that a lot of other people, they're using this opportunity as a way to get informed. It becomes dangerous, though, because a lot of people are really, really fucking dumb. And it's, they it becomes dangerous when you bank on it. And like I, I started my career in like 99, and I remember the tech craze. I remember going as a young broker. I was going to this company called Art Technology Group, which was one of these high-flying <clears> tech companies. And ATG was the ticker symbol and ARTG, ARTG. And there, I was meeting with this young uh, engineer and he was like, you know, the guy's making like 80 grand a year and he's got a million dollars of stock or something. And he looks at me with, and he had laid out this financial model. And he's like, I figure I can grow my portfolio at 50% a year. And I looked at him and I knew nothing. I was like 22 years old, like this young stockbroker. And I'm like, I don't think that's possible. Like historical returns have been 10% for like 75 years or something. Fact check on that. But, (laughs) uh, you know, that's not possible. But, you know, what happens with individuals is they extrapolate today forward, right? You always extrapolate where you're at forward and you think that it's sustainable at top highs and bottoms, right? right? Tops and tops and bottoms. And so, you know, I think that you, but I, I, I totally agree with you. I think society is learning. And I also think that we're always creating history, but I think over the last year, year and a half, if you've been a participant and you just watch what, what the hell was going on in the world, these are like record making. We are going to refer just like 9-11 or the 08 financial crisis or things that have happened. Right, we'll history. remember this. We're going to remember the pandemic. We're going to remember this craziness, you know. But I think that the internet, like, uh, it's a catalyst. It's like pouring gasoline on a flame in terms of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Because I think the people who are totally incompetent but don't realize it, they're going to act foolishly because their their confidence in what they know is going to force them you know, to act like a certain way. It's like when actors but, become like philosophers on like politics and charitable and finance right, and like, right. dude, you didn't go to college. Like you're an actor. Like you know how to like fake it really fucking well. Right, and you're faking it right now. Right. And, but you know, it's, it's like that where you have like other people all of a sudden they're like big prolific, you know, because they got a bunch of followers, like, you know, they can use some lingo and. But the flip side is a a really smart person might get drawn in and they might actually be able to uh, learn something, make some money and who knows how they'll affect things in the future. You know, life's all about sizing of positions, Right. right. And how you size your positions, how you size your exposure to something. And it's okay to try GameStop or Bitcoin or 
you you size according to your probability of positive outcome in your mind, right? Right. It's like when there's a really hot girl at the end of the bar and kind of like a chubbier girl closer to you. Depends on the time of the night, how much you've had to drink, right? Right. Yeah. And what your goal is. Um, I think this was awesome, Paul. I appreciate you coming out here. I hope that uh, when I put this out, I don't want anyone on Reddit to think that uh, I'm here to deem that one side of this situation is more morally superior because I think everybody looks out their own window. And regardless of, of that, I think uh, I certainly learned a whole shitload today. And uh, just so everyone knows, I'm fucking holding. <laughs> I, yeah, I think my what I stand to gain from my hold uh, is not is a near, tax loss. It's, it's a tax loss, so that's okay. You could use yeah. a tax loss. Well, awesome. Thanks, and uh, thanks for coming out, Paul and Guido. As always, thank you for producing and fact checking. Cheers. Well, I'm not sure if I feel smarter or stupider after that. Hopefully, that clears up some of the misinformation floating around on social media. Thanks to Paul for coming in on short notice and in the middle of the week and doing this. And if you got an extra 100 mil kicking around, you're looking to invest, you can find Paul in the links in the show notes. And as always, if you dig what we're doing, hit the subscribe button, leave a kindly review, and check out our Patreon page. Until next time, more push-ups, more tequila, and don't be a coward. Hold, hold, hold. Hold.